0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? If you don't have your Seek Week bracelet on, make sure you put that on. We will be judging you as you leave this building if it's not on. Um, hey, this morning, as you've probably kind of gotten the feel for already, is the start of our annual fall Mission and Vision sermon series. I think we've done this for about three years now. And so at this time, kind of when the school year starts back up, We want to recalibrate um, in fresh new ways and be reminded of our mission and the vision that we believe God has called us um, to be and to do. And so this year, we're calling this series, it's just four weeks, we're calling it Jesus y. I'm not even sure if that's an actual word, but that's what we're doing. And put simply, more than ever, We want to be a church community that is just all about Jesus. Um, I would argue, at least for my lifetime, which I'm I'm turning 62 here in a couple weeks, um, the church doesn't need to be known for its political stance. The church doesn't need to be known for its buildings. The church doesn't need to be known to put on a worship concert or whatever else your thing is. The church... In 2022, in a crazy world, needs to be known that they are a Jesus-y people. Uh, Pete Gregg, Pastor Brock mentioned him uh, during announcements. He has this phrase, when when the prayer room was started back out of London about 20 years ago or so, he wrote this poem that went viral all over the world. Um, And here is how this poem started and this is our vision here at the bridge. The vision is Jesus, obsessively, dangerously, and undeniably Jesus. And so literally our mission here at the bridge is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, all so that we see God's kingdom touched down in the Chino Valley as it is in heaven. So that. Is what we are unpacking, starting this morning. The next four weeks. This morning, part one, all about being with Jesus. Um, there is this verse, Acts chapter four, verse thirteen. Um, I, I've read this verse many times before, but about a couple months ago, I read it and and a phrase, a really simple phrase stuck out to me in a way that it never had before. It's simple, it's short, but I think it's profound and it's needed because the implications are dire in 21st century America. And I want this verse, I want Acts 4.13 to be the launching pad of this series for us as we talk about being with Jesus. So here's the context. Peter and John, those are uh, two of Jesus' closest disciples. They have just been arrested. So they've gone to jail, um, and they're being legally examined by, by kind of like the, the religious ruling elites in first century Jerusalem. And they were arrested, honestly, for basically being Jesus-y. Like, they got arrested doing something that Jesus did. That's the third part of our mission. But what they did is Jesus used them to heal a crippled beggar near the temple. And the religious leaders of that day did not like what they were doing, did not like what they were saying, and so they arrested them. They wanted to squash this Jesus movement the movement was growing thousands were coming to faith people were praising god and a miracle had happened right before them and they couldn't do anything about it because it was undeniable so they thought okay well at least we'll put these two guys in jail maybe that will help squash it well it turns out that that actually only made it grow more but here's what we read as they are examining them kind of like on trial acts 4:13 When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished and they took note that these men, and there it is, had been with Jesus. Um, The message so I'm going to quote a couple times this morning. All it is, it's just a modern day paraphrase of the scriptures. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. He puts, they couldn't take their eyes off of them, Peter and John. Their fascination deepened when they realized that they were just two laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. And here it is. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. They recognized them as companions Of Jesus, these simple, ordinary fishermen. They weren't pastors, they weren't priests, they weren't rabbis, they had no, um, you know, kind of educated religious training. But people were fascinated by them. They were astonished by them. Why? Come up here and preach, man. You don't need notes. Yeah, because they were with Jesus. Um, Rich Viodas, who's been a pretty influential pastor in the last couple of years out of New Life Fellowship in Queens in New York City, he wrote this in a book forward. And ask yourself this, what would it look like if the world looked at women and men in this generation and concluded, these people have been with Jesus? In our day, It's easier to say, these people have been with cable news personalities, or these people have been with some judgmental religious types, but imagine if people could look at our lives, our courageous, loving, non-anxious lives, and only say, these people have been with Jesus. This is the driving question this morning that I want to invite you into. When people look at your life and people are looking at your life, when they think about the bridge, do they take note, "Ah, that that person's been with Jesus. Do they ask that of you? Are they astonished? Not because you're perfect, but because you just seem really Jesus-y. I had to use that word somehow. See, our culture today, more than ever before, I think says that um, who you are is is what you do. Your doing is more important than your being. Um, You're defined by what you do, by what you accomplish, by what you achieve. But for Jesus... In the kingdom of God, being is always more important than doing because being precedes doing. Now, it matters what you do. I'm not saying that it doesn't. We'll get to that in three weeks. We are to do what Jesus did. So, I'm not saying that isn't the matter. That actually is the goal. The goal is to do what Jesus did. But, listen to this you cannot freely and truly do what Jesus did until you're just with him in his presence. There is like an order to this whole thing. Being precedes doing. Um, One of the best books I've read, probably in the last year, is a book called Being with God by A.J. Sherrill. He writes this. Most Americans are more comfortable with the absurdity of staying busy because it offers the illusion of progress and productivity, two of the Western world's greatest idols. And oh, by the way, since we're on the topic of busyness, did you know the Chinese pictograph for busy is made of two characters? Guess what they are? Heart and killing. Often we believe our busyness is imparting life. Is it possible that our busyness is something taking life too? Isn't that interesting? I, I read somewhere else the other day. I don't remember where, so I can't uh, source it. But this person said something to the fact of like, yeah, actually the problem with today's Christians is that they're too busy to follow Jesus. Isn't that sad? I think it's true, though. I think we're too busy to follow Jesus. So, what's the alternative? I mean, like, what, what, what do we do? What, what, what's the answer to this? Um, for that, I want to turn to, and this is where we'll camp out this morning, is just really classic foundational passage in John 15. So, if you have a Bible, open it up, John 15. Um, If you need one, we have some available right underneath your chair. You can take it home. One of our values here at the bridge is we are rooted in the Scriptures. So John 15, we'll start at verse 1. Jesus is speaking. These are words of Jesus. And here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then go down to verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is very blunt. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 9, as a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Um, the Greek verb there, it's, it's meno. And it's how the NIV translates the word remain. Remain in me as I remain in you. Uh, many other translations will use the word abide. Abide in me so that I may abide in you. Um, in our vernacular, what this means, it means to live in, uh, to, to, to stay in, to, to persist in. Now, not like you're going to a hotel or an Airbnb where you're there temporarily for a couple nights. No, 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 no. This is like to remain somewhere permanently. Permanently. Uh, I like a, this is your living room. Jesus is saying, hey, be at home in me like you are in your living room. Again, the message puts it this way, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, But only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. And I like this. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Make yourself at home in my love. And I've told you these things for a purpose that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. About a month ago, uh, most of you know this, Rachel and I went away. We were in Europe for a couple weeks. And um, the first city city that we went to was Amsterdam. Now, Amsterdam is, uh, well, it's known for a couple things. One of the things they're known for is like world-class museums. Now, just in case you're wondering, the other thing that Amsterdam's known for is marijuana, and no, we didn't smoke any, all right? I have had some people ask me that. I'll just leave that there. You know, uh, marijuana in Amsterdam, they, where they sell it, it's called coffee houses. So, like, if you Google coffee houses in Yelp or Google or whatever, and you go to a coffee house, you're not going to a coffee house. But anyways... Um, we learned that before we went, so we didn't struggle with that one. But anyways, moving forward, um, now Rachel, we're not really museum people, and I, ooh, wow, man, you guys are boring. Yeah, well, we think museums are boring. <clears throat> so, you know, here we are in this global city, this global hub, known for world-class museums, and so it's kind. Of, all right, well, let's go at least to one of them. Yeah, wait, we, we need to do that. So we go to one. We go to the Van Gogh Museum. All right, Vincent van Gogh, one of the most famous painters, artists ever to live. And uh, so we go there, and in typical Amsterdam fashion, we, we ride bikes there. If you know Amsterdam, everyone bikes. Like, cars don't even exist there. It's awesome. However, if you watch the news, Europe had like a heat wave about a month ago. Yeah, that's when we rode our bikes, and it was 101 degrees outside in Amsterdam. <clears throat> but we still did it. So we get there. We buy our tickets. Well, we did that in advance. And we get inside, and you walk in, and right away, they give you the opportunity um, to, you know, to buy just for a couple bucks, not expensive, like, like a self-guided tour thing, where they, they give you the earphones, and then on your smartphone, you download the museum app, and then it will guide you, both audibly as well as visually on your phone, as you make your way through the Van Gogh Museum. Well, of course, ah, we don't need that. Want that? We should go do our own thing. So we skip it. There's a huge line. We get up to level one. And the way that the Van Gogh Museum is structured is, I think there's like four or five levels, and they all progress according to his, his timeline. So you go to level one, and it's kind of like the, the beginning of Vincent Van Gogh. And, I mean, it's kind of a surreal moment. You walk in, and immediately I see these self-portraits Of Vincent van Gogh, and and they're like the ones that I've seen in movies or read about or learned about in high school. Um, I mean, these are like famous, famous paintings. And what was interesting to me is that I was able to walk up immediately to them and look at them. The only thing separating us would be like kind of like the glass security. And one of the reasons why I was able to walk right up to it, and there's tons of people, tourists everywhere. And I noticed that while I looked up at a portrait made by Van Gogh himself, 80% of the rest of people were like this. It's fascinating. Here they are before like a renowned artist. I mean, his paintings would go for millions and millions of dollars. Like, they had his actual, like, paintbrush and stuff that he touched, and they're right before these famous paintings, and they're just like this. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's just level one. We go up to level two. Exact same thing. I'm standing right before the, if you know Van Gogh, like the, he has, like, a famous, like, sunflower painting, and then a one of, like, a family at a dinner table, and I'm standing right before it, and I'm able to get to the front, no problem, because everyone else is like this. And it hit me. There they are in front of Van Gogh himself, so to speak. And they're more caught up in their phone and listening to this stupid app-guided thing rather than looking at the beauty of the portrait itself. And then it hit me. Man, I think that's what we do with God. The presence of God is right before us, all around us, in us, and our modern life, we're just like this. See, we are more connected than ever before because of technology, but I think in a lot of ways, we are more disconnected from the God who's given us the ability to make the technology. Technological connection has come at an all-time cost. What are the all-time costs of technology? Any study, you can just Google this, loneliness, anxiety, depression, our attention spans have shrunk. Have you noticed that? Your ability to focus on something I would almost guarantee you is less than what it was 10 years ago. We live fragmented lives. We have reduced ability to be in awe and wonder and stillness and silence. Restlessness is the opioid of our age. Now, what's fascinating about this, I just found out about this, is that even our kind of so-called secular, super technologically savvy culture is actually beginning to understand and grasp the repercussions to this. Check this out. There is a company called Yonder. Yonder, I believe, was developed in 2014. And we have a picture up of a device of theirs, I think. There it is. Now, you're wondering, what is this? Yonder check this out, is used at schools throughout the nation, organizations, concerts, museums, and artist venues. Why? What does yonder do? Well, yonder, as you enter the venue or school or building or museum, whatever it is, they give you a pouch and you put your phone in your pouch and it locks it up. Now, here's a good, you keep the pouch on you. You're not giving it to anyone. you just put it back in your pocket, but you can't, open, you can't open it up to get your phone. Now in case there's an emergency or you know all that kind of stuff, um, there's a base, and that's what the circle thing is at the bottom there, that is located at the venue, and then you would just walk outside to the base, and then it automatically demagnetizes your pouch and you can access your phone. Now yonder, on their homepage, on their website, why have they made this, here's why. Yonder creates phone-free spaces for artists, educators, organizations, and individuals. In our hyper-connected world, we provide a haven to engage with what you're doing and who you're doing it with in physical space in real time. Not sold yet, not that I'm trying to sell you something. Well, actually, Madonna's used this at her concerts. How about Justin Timberlake? Any JT fans out there? You're, you're scared. You're ashamed to raise your hand. That's okay. Uh, Childish Gambino, Haim, Dave Chappelle have all enlisted yonder at their concerts, at their venues. Why? Because they've realized something. If you want to if you want to encounter the power and the presence of a moment. If you want to be fully present, you got to abide. you got to remain in that moment. You have to sit down and dwell and listen to Justin Timberlake spitting his words at you. Chappelle saying jokes you have to be able to gaze at the beauty of a Van Gogh painting right in front of you. Undistracted. See, for followers of Jesus, we believe theologically that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? Like one of the metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses is that you, like in this room, is hundreds of temples. Your body is a temple. What's a temple? A temple is where the divine dwells. Where the divine abides, Where the divine takes up permanent residence. He's in you. Why is he in you? Well, he's in you because of the cross. Because there used to be a veil between the Holy of Holies and us being able to encounter the Holy of Holies. And Jesus ripped that veil on the cross. And now there's complete access. We are in the presence of God himself right now. And the most astonishing reality, the the biggest truth that exists is that at any moment, at any place, in any time, the Creator God is right there with you. He's abiding in you. We all have access to the divine portrait right in front of us. But most of us, if we're honest, are actually just like all those tourists in the Van Gogh Museum, and we're more caught up in our screen than we are the presence of the divine. We're always digitally connected, but are we spiritually connected? Again, A.J. Sherrill writes this, and I noticed this in my vacation too, a significant amount of time is now spent in search of wall outlets. You ever realize that? Next time you go to the airport, it used to be like the food lines? No, it's, it's the big table now with all the outlets. I borrowed one from a lady I didn't know in Amsterdam. Anyway, anyway, uh, delayed at an airport can plainly view this phenomenon. With our devices comes the promise of constant connection with the external world. But with this promise also comes the price of constant disconnection from our internal self, Which, oh by the way is where the Holy Spirit dwells and awaits our attention. What if God is just waiting to be with you? What if God is just waiting to be with you? What if when you're at Costco, I made a very brave decision yesterday. I went to Costco on a Saturday. And it worked out well because I think everyone else was thinking the same thing, so actually there were no lines. But when you're waiting in Costco and there's 25 carts in front of you with like four dollars each of groceries or whatever, what if God is just waiting to be with you? What if when you are stuck at our beloved intersection of Euclid and Kimball, what if God is just waiting? to be with you? What if when you wake up in the morning, God's just waiting to be with you? If I'm honest, those examples that I just gave, often God is waiting to be with me and I choose something else instead. Now let's take this a step further. What if we had the same hopeful expectancy of being with God as we do towards checking our iPhone. You know that hopeful expectancy? Ooh, I just, ooh do they respond to me? Oh, does someone like my comment? That's like hopeful expectancy. What if we had that towards the creator, God? Um, there's a, a Christian sociologist at Westmont in Santa Barbara, Felicia Wu Song just wrote a book called The Restless Devices. And I think she absolutely, beautifully and powerfully speaks into our cultural moment as Jesus followers. This is a long quote, but I think it's worth it. Here's what she puts. What would it be like if we were to, if we were to cultivate such a permanent state of expectancy for God's desire to communicate with us? What if my antenna was always outstretched towards checking in with God as much as I'm always checking in with my smartphone? What if I was filled with great expectancy that there would be a word for me and that I could trust that that word would not be a word that simply demanded something from me, but a word that came to nourish me? What if I knew that there was a word that revealed God's very nature waiting just for me, and that His nature was defined by a wild and faithful love that actually likes who I am, enjoys my company, and even takes delight in me? To be with someone who delights in you is a precious thing that we all long to experience. To live with the permission to be fully oneself, fearless, because we know that we are loved not condemned or pegged as a sad sack failure or disappointment this is what it is to hear from god but beyond that sheer joy of being crowned with god's delight this notion of abiding also calls forth the idea of staying close to the source of life staying in touch not just within earshot, but mindful and expectant in order to be in communion with the loving security of God as expressed through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the way, the truth, and the life. What if Every single time that I went to check ESPN or Twitter on my phone to see if the Lakers have gotten Kyrie Irving yet, it's been the rumor for like five years now. You know how much time I've wasted picking up my phone, putting in my face ID or whatever to check Twitter or ESPN to see that? Probably over hours now. And what if instead of expecting Kyrie, I expected the Lord of the universe to speak into my life? What if instead of getting lost in a Netflix series, we got lost in the beauty and power of Jesus Christ? What if instead of being consumed by our cable news channel that gives your politically preference stance and being informed by that, what if you were transformed by being in the Word of God? See, we're actually really good at abiding. We are are amazing at staying connected. We're amazing at being with someone or something. The problem is, that's just not usually Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with technology. Technology is awesome. We're using technology right now. So technology is not the enemy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we don't want to be obsessed and controlled by technology. Instead, we want to be obsessed and controlled by the God who made and redeemed us. The God who's the one true vine, the one, the only one who can actually produce good fruit in your lives. If you want to be a fruitful person of impact, Jesus says, John 15, just stay connected to me. Remain with me. Make your home in me. Now, this gets to then, okay, well, how do we practically do this? Like, what what does it actually look like to abide, to remain with Jesus? It's really simple. It's very hard, though. Let me just give you three things. And some of you are going to be tempted right now when I give these three things. Some of you who've grown up in the church, you're going to be, oh, Mark, man, that's intro stuff. That, that's Christianity 101. I'm like in 401 right now. Yeah, anybody who says that is actually in a 101. <laughs> Let me just do a little psychology on you. <clears throat> See, the thing about Jesus, the thing about abiding with Jesus is the more you get to know him, the more you stay connected to him, it actually becomes increasingly just about these three things. So what are they? One, first one, Bible meditation. Honestly, just reading the scriptures. Can you spend at least 15 minutes a day meditating on one chapter in the Bible? Just one chapter, just 15, 20 minutes. And here's here's a question that I ask myself, and there's lots of questions asked. Here's a helpful one for me. I'll read a chapter, and then I ask, okay, in light of this passage, what is God inviting me into? In light of this passage, what is God inviting me into? Second thing, prayer. What if you spent 15 to 30 minutes a day praying? Now, what's prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God and listening from Him. And I have to make this caveat. Um, it's totally okay for you to pray in your car while you're driving or pray while you're listening to music. All those things are fine. So I'm not saying, oh, you can't do that. It doesn't count. But what I would say is I think prayer is at its most intimate expression when it's done in silence and solitude. It'd be like if I took my wife Rachel out on a date to spend time with her, and then I was just doing a bunch of other things while we're trying to date. I mean, she's going to look at me and say, hey, Mark, um, can you put your phone down? You're being rude. I think some of us do our prayer life with God like that, though. Just be in his presence. Find your favorite chair. Turn the AC on. Get a cup of coffee. And just be with him. Undistracted. Third thing, and this this will be the tough one this is the most foreign to us, but fasting. Um, the early church, you know that the early church, the book of Acts, they fasted all the time. Um, may, maybe what Bible reading or prayers for us was fasting was for them. And, and I think the American church, I think we need to reclaim fasting. Now, it's not easy and fasting isn't just some, like, religious mechanic thing to do. No, no. When you fast from either eating or social media or whatever your thing is, instead of doing that thing, you're filling it with the presence of God. So if, if you fast from a meal or if you fast for 24 hours, you're going to be physically hungry. But the point is, is to fill that physical hunger with spiritual hunger for Jesus that does something to you. Those are, there's, there's way more. Those are just three simple things. Bible reading, prayer, and fasting. So if you're like me, you're like, okay, how do I do this? Try those three things. Now don't, you know, go out and try to fast for a whole week. You're gonna end up in the hospital. <laughs> All right? Don't try to read the whole Bible, like in Greek and Hebrew in the first year. Nah, one chapter. 15 minutes. Baby steps. And God's going to rewire you. I mean, neurologists tell us that, that actually prayer actually re- does rewire our brain. For the last time, I want you to take out the Seek Week flyer. So there's this, should have been on your chair. And by the way, if you don't have your, your band on, like I said, make sure you put that on. So as Brock mentioned, here, here's the schedule. Um, very intentionally <laughs> in Seek Week, it is nothing but Bible reading, prayer, and fasting. And so Seek Week, if, if you've never lived this lifestyle before, if, if you've never kind of gone after, Je- after Jesus like this, this is a great way an invitation to start. The invitation for us as a church this week and individually is just to be with Jesus, that's it. We, we, we just want to be with him. like We want to be caught up in his presence. We want to be hungry and starving for the God of the universe to meet with us. And so Tracy's done an amazing job online. If you go to the, the URL link, thebridgechino.org forward slash seek dash week, there is devotionals for every day. All you got to do is click and they're on there. They're live right now. So this week, this is what we want to invite you into. Like we have a mission statement and it's not, honestly, it's not just words, not lip service. Like We we really want to be a community that spends time with Jesus. Why? Here's why. Because others will look at you just like they looked at Peter and John. And are, are they going to take note Are they going to be astonished? Are they going to be amazed? Man, here's this school teacher. They have joy in hardship. They have peace in a storm. They're humbly courageous. They're loving in disagreement. Have they they been with this Jesus? In a fragmented, anxious, restless, distracted world, I actually think one of the best things we have to offer the world is our own transformed selves after being with Jesus. You ever just around someone who's just calm? It can be crazy, but their, their foundation is calm. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes to abide in you and you waken up to his presence. I want to invite the worship team up. I want to lead us, um, I guess you could call it an exercise or a meditation. But Psalm 27, it's an amazing, amazing psalm just, it's a poem. And Psalm 27.4, I think, highlights, it puts in poetic language, this invitation to be with Jesus. And here's what I want, here's what I want us to do. If you could just close your eyes. Um, if you'd like to, you can open up the palms of your hand. And what this means is the posture of receiving. You don't have to. It's okay if you don't want to. And I want to read this verse over us, It's just one verse. I want you just to meditate on it. Literally, the next two songs that we're singing are just about the presence of God, like very intentionally. We're, we're just, we're going to go after the presence of God. Let me read this passage a couple times for you. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. There's one thing that I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. If you need prayer for whatever this morning, it's all fair game. Prayer for anything. It's free prayer. It's amazing like. I'm going to come up. But if there's one thing, Lord, I have so many needs, but Lord, I I just want to be with you. I want to gaze at the beauty of the creator. Lord, I ask for myself, for every single person in this room, For every church in the Chino Valley right now, Inland Hills, Vantage Point, CVCC, Lord, would your people in the Chino Valley reawaken to the beauty of your presence? There's one thing that we ask, one thing that we desire. That we make you our living room. Come minister to us. Holy Spirit.